Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 195 and this episode sees the return of Jonas Dodu, the head coach at Speedworks. The last episode we recorded was actually way back in April 2019. That was episode 25 of this podcast. It's been a fair while since we caught up. There's absolutely loads of information in this one. If anyone... I'm sure you all do follow Jonas's work and the and the guys at Speedworks as well. Packed full of awesome information. So what I would say, a couple of things before we get into the podcast. Go and get a pen and paper. This is one that you're going to want to take notes on because it's absolutely loads. I was trying to make notes throughout the podcast as I was speaking to him. I'm going to have to go back through and listen because there's so much gold in this podcast. The second thing is if you're listening to the podcast just on audio on on Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes, go and watch this one as well. I say that because when Jonas is talking around some of the um, aspects of his training and his approach around acceleration and profiling, he's actually showing videos as well. So if you go and watch over on the YouTube, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. Now, if you can't and you're in the car or whatever, it's fine because it he, he, he doesn't affect the audio. He still explains it like he does with everything to the highest level. So you'll still get plenty from it. But it, I would recommend that if you can't listen to it, if you sorry, if you can't watch it right now, go back and go onto the YouTube, search Football Fitness Federation on YouTube and actually go and give it a watch as well because you'll some of the some of it might make sense a little bit more and you'll see um, some of the slides that he's talking about as he is talking as well. So in this episode, we talk about loads of topics to be honest, but some of the topics are we discuss strength training, how it relates to speed, how strong is strong enough, which is a debate we've had a, a number of times. Jonas gives some great opinions on that. Um, so we discuss about that. We talk about profiling acceleration and how that informs practice. We also talk about the link to injury rates and he gives some great advice on um, communicating with coaches and what to look out for with your players as well, especially when they're returning back to injury and trying to get back to pre-injury um, condition as well. Now, just before we jump into the podcast, I want to keep this quite short, but just a very quick heads up. Wednesday, the 27th of July at Stoke City, we've got our next networking event. That is with Jordan White from Stoke and Nathan Plaskett from Derby County. They're both going to be presenting for us. If you want to come and join us for an evening of networking and watch the guys present, head over to footballfitfed.com. Click the shop tab and tickets are available there. So go and check it out. And very last order of business before we get into this one, I just want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors and let's get into episode 195 with Jonas Dodu. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 195 and I'm delighted to welcome back, well overdue, onto the podcast, Jonas Dodu. Jonas, how are we doing? Very good, mate. How are you? 
I'm very good. I'm very good. Now you're a busy, busy man. I know you've got a lot going on, so I really appreciate you freeing up some time and uh, coming on for a chat. Always good to talk. Always good. It is, mate. You've been doing some absolutely quality stuff and I'm excited to dive into some of it on here today. So we'll start off. It's been a little while since we had a chat. I actually wrote the date down so it reminded me. So it's the, it was 29, start of 2019. We actually did that last podcast, which is mental. Cool. But... Can you give a little bit of background, but mainly a bit of an update in terms of what's going on with the business, with yourself, um, give people a bit of an idea what's going on? Okay, I'll try not to ramble, so I'll just give you whistle-stop tour. Um, I'm a coach. I love coaching and started in rugby and, and, and rehab and have rehabbed and, and, and coached many rugby and football players over time, but track and field has been my focus. Coached some really good kids from the age of 16 till they were in their 20s and a large amount of them, are maybe a greater proportion than usual, have gone to the Olympics and have got medals and have run sub-10. Um, hit COVID and um, everything disappeared. My, my ability to coach athletes, my probably a bit of my mental health, all of my business, all of my contracts, my consultancies of clubs, um, and probably spent six months not knowing what to do, but just playing in the garden because it was sunny and it was COVID and, and my kids were home and probably the best summer I've ever had, in fact. So that's the, we've lost loved ones and, and it's been tough on us from a family and business level, but it really changed my mindset about what work to life, what work to wife balance, work to life <laughs> balance really should look like. And um and so since we found the software that we really liked, we've created some courses. Um, I decided that I, you know, another pandemic could come or I could drop down dead and I would have nothing to give my kids. So I realized scaling a business and developing something that worked for me was really important, was high on my priorities, but didn't want to do something that wasn't part of my passion. So I just made it up and realized that, okay, well, there are coaches around the world who consult with us or send us emails or send us video and that, okay, there's lots of coaches still arguing about different models for sprinting. Some coaches still arguing that sprinting is or isn't relevant for team sports. So these were my passion. These were the nice arguments or debates or discussions I like to have and were the natural consult consulting opportunities that were coming up coming to me, not even that I was looking for, they were coming to me. So we, um, long story short, we, we um, took an app that was already in, in use. We um, used it quite a bit and, and got a bit of interest. We then essentially created our own and, our, and an AI to be able to make that use of that app really easy and functional and, and simple. Uh, and, and now we, we consult with, you know, as of now, I, I go in and work with three premiership football teams and some Bundesliga teams, an NFL team, Major League Baseball, basketball, uh, baseball team, um, and have uh, uh, maybe double that amount of teams that we support with, with profiling. Um, and typical profiling for us is not FE profiling or anything like that. It's, it's take a video, um, set it up in a, in a consistent way, we, we collect kinematics. So not just your speed across 10 meters or a flying 10, but we'll collect your step length, your step frequency. We'll collect all the kinematic and spatial temporal variables that you would get and make it very biomechanically. And then we'll simplify it and make it really simple for your grandma or for a physio or SSC coach. Um, and so now I, I find myself 
mainly in team sports. I'm not ready for track and field yet, the full-time nature of track and field. But I find myself in team sports, coaching coaches, coaching physios, coaching teams of support teams in how to take a simple principle um, or a simple lens that we look at running technique and efficiency in, and that's projection, switching, and reactivity. I take these three heuristics and show teams how they sit at the top of your assessment tree and they are a, um, and provide you an opportunity to understand efficient and effective movement. So efficient movement might be just, you know, movement that doesn't waste energy, but effective movement is a movement that gets you from A to B in a certain time or allows you to create a certain distance in a hop. Um, and if you have an efficiency and effectiveness, you have performance and you have health. If you only have efficiency, maybe you have health until you get overloaded by your game and then you don't have health anymore. And if you just have performance, if you can create the values necessary to, to run 10 meters per second or to um, be able to do a triple hop over eight and a half meters, like you might have the physical ability, but the positions you put your foot in every time is breaking down your system and is jarring your ankle or your knee or your lower back and leading to poor health. So by combining efficiency and health together, having one, one model that describes both is enabling us to is, you know, take coaches, physios that have been working in the Premier League for 10 years and teach them something and show them how they can take their the vast amount of knowledge and information they've created over time and experience and funnel it into a way that enables them to talk to SNC coach in the same language. It allows them to talk to the players, all three of them, in the same language and allows a manager to come and say, look, this player is meant to be ready and, and rehabbed and I've seen him running outside. I want to rush him. I'm, I'm going to play him this weekend. And a physio can say, without emotion, I understand, coach, that he looks like he's ready, but just take a look at this simple report. And just look at the difference between his left and his right leg or look at him prior in preseason and now look at him now. So you think he's ready because you're excited and you need him, but this is what he looked like when he was in a good place and we're still far away from that. And, and that is now really enabling people to, again, talk the same language, um, uh, feel like they have expertise in coaching movement to do a sprinting and jumping and deceleration without having to go and spend 10 years uh, on a track uh, or in a lab to understand the biomechanics. So I said I would do this without rambling, but I think I've spent 10 minutes telling you um, that uh, my, my story. But that's where we're at at the moment and we're really excited about being in this place. Mate, that's absolute golden though, by the way. Um, I've been loving some of the things you've been posting, especially I think I've seen it on Twitter mainly, is where you're trying to engage com uh, with conversation with people and putting clips up and asking people what they can see. And I think it's really positive, isn't it? And it's also in the nature of like a high performance team, a coaching team, that they're the important conversations. And what you've just talked about in terms of language and all the rest of it, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Everyone might see slightly different things and how we actually then engage and communicate is really important, isn't it? Yeah, shared language is critical for any relationship. And, um, you know, I always say, if I'm standing in front of you and I put a W on the floor, I'm going to see a W, but what will you see? Yeah, an M. 
and M and yeah. someone could stand into the left or someone standing to the right. And we could argue all day and we might even have a fight and dislike each other because I say, well, this, this letter here spells um, water. And you'll say, no, 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 that's the first letter of mother. And we could argue all days and the, the, the guys will be watching us arguing thinking you're both stupid because that's a, that's a Greek numeral or that's a, a number. And so shared language is critical because, um, yeah, we're trying to coach something that is done in flow state. Sprinting is a habit and a skill. And so the first place we definitely need to be on the same page about is what is the goal of a sprint? What is the effective model we want to coach towards? And how do we communicate that across to the athletes so they can better yet communicate back to us about what's their limitations, et cetera. What do they feel when they're moving? And then better yet, we can then go and design physical programs that actually have transfer to the goals that we're, we're aiming for, not just general programs that uh, a governing body in strength and conditioning have told us this is what we should be doing. It's more like, well, we've got, we're going to be held accountable to our players getting healthier, faster, fitter, more explosive, getting better in their positions. So we better be reverse engineering performance from from football downwards, not from a, a clean and a counter movement jump upwards, right? And there's some correlations for some of those things, but they don't always have causative relationships. So like just because faster players are stronger in certain movements, it's almost like who cares? The better way to look at it is to say, this is my player right now, or this is my group of players right now, and this is the improvement I need to see on the pitch. And if I reverse engineer it to a sprint, to a jump, okay, these are the limiting factors around the hip or the ankle or the knee or the trunk control. Okay, now I'll go and design exercises or, or choose exercises that have a direct impact on those factors, and those factors have a direct impact on performance. And if I choose to clean, great. If I choose just to bloody leg press and do some plyometrics, whatever I choose, it's up to me. It's like I can pick whatever tools appropriate to address my goal. Um, yeah. I definitely think that's a better way around. It, it's just going to be hard for people to uh, consume that because that's not how they've been taught, either in degree or either when they've had to go and do a course in order to qualify to for whatever job they're working in. So it's a long road at the moment, but we have a, a really good cohort of coaches, professional coaches working in the game, in the Premier League, in, in Championship, at Academy level, in the Bundesliga, who are really taking this on board and, and, and actually proving concept for us. They're taking it, they're using it and coming back and saying, this worked really well, this worked a bit, this one didn't work. Okay, why? Okay, let's reorganise our understanding of it and attack it again. So I'm learning as I'm teaching. And it's great. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, brilliant. That that really ties in nicely with what I was going to ask. And I think you've answered it a little bit there because I wanted to relate it back to, to strength work that a lot of people are going to be working with players in the gym, getting players stronger. And probably there's there's a few out there thinking that if I get players stronger, it's going to transfer over to speed somewhere along the line, whether, whether, whether we think it or not. Um, mm. But making sure it does like ensuring that transfer is probably different to sort of just putting it out there and seeing what happens. And I think you've maybe touched on it a little bit there in reverse engineering it and looking at the game first, but is there anything else in terms of for coaches um, ensuring that the, the strength work they're doing in the gym is going to then cross over to the uh, to the pitch? Yeah. I mean, so crossover to the pitch, maybe we should measure in different ways and, and let's just measure crossover in their ability to be explosive through their hips the ability to stabilize their trunk and be stiff and reactive through their ankles. 
right? And if they can do that and orientate it in the correct angle or essentially translate it in a horizontal manner, then you're more likely to have some transfer to the pitch. The reason I'm saying it that way is I'm getting rid of the game speed mentality around having to choose the right moment and the, and the real technical, tactical elements. Yeah. To see coaches have more control over making sure that slow strength can turn into ballistic, explosive sprint, deceleration into intense actions. That's really your first main pivot, right? Or main goal. Um, so how do you make sure that happens? Well, yeah, you. I always say you gym to jump. If your gym is working, then your plyometrics improve. I think it's as simple as that. You jump higher, you jump quicker, your um, time to stabilization, your, your stability when jumping is better, your trunk control when jumping is better, your, again, your ability to be stiff and reactive and, and, and jump efficiently. So uh, repetitive jumps become easier and simpler. The effort required to do those jumps become better. The, the distance and power and, and, and speed in those jumps um, is not just in one direction. They can do it forwards. They can do it sideways. Um, and essentially, you've got the key uh, physical uh, underpinnings in order to transfer to sprinting. Yeah. So if you want to measure transfer, the first thing to ask yourself is your slow strength turning into essentially fast strength. Yeah, brilliant. And that probably leads us quite nicely into some profiling. Because I know it's something you wanted to touch on today. So in terms of that, how you go about that and how that then informs practice, can you give a little bit break, breakdown of that? Yeah, fine. So I mean, um, so hopefully you can see this. So when I think about projection, when I think about my heuristics, um, I'm and I think about profiling, before we go into the, the nitty gritty of it, we've got to talk about what the heuristics are. So projection is all about displacement. And really about step step length or hip displacement distance. Can you get from A to B in um, an efficient amount of stride? So not spinning your wheels, putting lots of steps down, but in an appropriate amount of strides. Let's say, can you get to 10 meters in seven steps, right? Um, that is all about projection. And that's what projection is. Your range of motion between your thighs is a big indicator of your ability to project. So essentially, if you can have a big hip extension behind your um, behind your hip, a big toe off distance is maybe what we'd call it. Um, can you, whilst doing that on the backside, get a big hip flexion on the other side? So you're making a big range of motion. This really contributes to projection. When you when you create that big range of motion, can your trunk have discipline? Can it stay relatively stable? Can you keep your diaphragm down? And can you orientate your trunk in the angle you want to go? Or does it go up or forwards or side to side? You know, th that's all about trunk discipline. But more importantly, this word disassociation. Can you have these big ranges of motion at your thighs whilst your trunk stays relatively stable? Or in order to create some of this range of motion, do you contort your trunk? Do you lose your lumbar spine? Um, is your, is your syn uh, synchronization, is your... Um, sequence of hip extension appropriate where the energy starts around the hips and goes up and down um, towards the limbs or do you initiate hip extension by throwing your shoulders up and using your erector and your lumbar spine as a major driver 
and then your hips are really slow to engage and your knees and your in your quads end up doing a lot of the work you know so there's different ways of projecting and these sequence this sequence and this trunk control even shin discipline to have a stable shin so your thigh can do the work these are all things that are taught in the gym first and you can squat a deadlift and you can do any lift you want with with or without these things you can have very poor in fact sometimes it's easier to squat heavier or deadlift heavier by having poor trunk discipline by having your hips come in last by having your erector take care of all the work and that's why getting as strong as up to one or 1.2 times body weight seems to be really effective for most people and have a really good transference rate and anything more is like a flip of the coin like you can get stronger after and actually get slower. Why? Because you're no longer orientate the force the way you want to go or because all your time is spent in slow movements and not in fast movements. So simple as talking about projection, about distance and, and really about application of force is one thing, but the sequencing, the timing, the, the, the disassociation really defines the efficiency in that movement. Right. So I said efficiency and effectiveness. If you apply a large force in the right direction, you're going to be relatively effective. And actually, if you apply a really large force in the wrong direction, some of it will leak out in the right direction. and You still may be effective. However, you're probably really, really inefficient. And then you've got to think about what that happens to well, not just the ability to do one sprint, but the ability to do repeated sprints and the cost of that over a game, over several games, over a season. So projection, when I think about profiling, I think about projection as the key thing. And then I'm going to break it down into those key areas. When I think about I'm going to go next to, to, to switching. Switching is really just this ability to exchange your limbs really well. Exchange the front limb, exchange the back limb and um and there's some really cool research that's come out of the Japanese lab. Um, and, and forgive me, I always forget his name. I always just talk about the Japanese lab, but I never really reference um, his name. It's not on this computer, it's on my laptop. Um, and they talk about switching in two manners. If you talk about your front limb, the switching element is about how do you turn off the agonist, let's say the hip flexor, and the timing of you turning on the antagonist. So there's a hip flexor turn off at the same time to hit the the hamstrings turn on. So there's a real nice exchange handoff between flexion and extension, or is the hip flexor lagging and still on when the hamstring group decide to turn on at the same time and you have some friction and you have a, a, a non, uh, uh, just a, a non-effective co-contraction, like the timing is wrong. Um, that happens on the front side. That can happen on the back side uh, where we're talking about hip extension, stopping and hip flexion turning on. So this, um, this switching of the limb is really important at the, at the one limb level, but also imagine that, that timing happening accurately and in synergy on both limbs so that both limbs stop flexing, extending at the same time and exchange at the same time. So this, this research talks about that as scissoring, but I would include both of those elements, the timing of one limb and the timing of both limbs within switching. I think it's simpler to talk about it as one thing. So switching really is um, measurable through thigh angular velocity and thigh angular acceleration, but they're long words and complicated and it's easier to say switching, right? Um, but that as a value has a high relevance for performance. 
in acceleration, in max velocity, even in braking and change of direction. So looking into switching and understanding what that does is important. And then understanding coordination, timing, the ability to turn off as a physical characteristic to me is more important than the ability to turn on. So most of our strength training is about it is about straining against uh, an, an external force and pushing or isometrically pushing or moving. And can we win and push and contract for long? And then we relax, but in a passive way, ready for winning again. Whereas actually all elastic and, and explosive performance is about, can you go on and off? And if you can go on and off, the sooner you can go off, the sooner you can go on again. So you can have high frequencies of action. Um, and that is, for me, is, uh, I say it's more important. That they're both very important, but that, that it seems to be the, the less trained characteristic for most people. So when I think about switching, I think about plyometrics, I think about um, uh, sprinting drills with load and velocity. Um, but I also think about disassociation again, because the same thing before. Can you create large range of motion and switch those limbs whilst your trunk is remaining stable? And if the trunk doesn't remain stable, your ability to switch will just reduce dramatically because a lot of the underpinning physical, physical properties for switching come from the pelvis, the lumbar spine, and, and come from a spine down stability, um, or sp spine down stabilizing factors, as opposed to ground up. So we're really talking about the trunk, your ability to rotate, anti-rotate, so that you can control your lumbar spine, so that you can control your pelvis and disassociate it and add to the switching mechanism. So switching for me um, goes down to that. And then reactivity, we're really just talking about system stiffness. So not the ability just to be stiff through your ankle, which you could allude to physical properties around isometric, eccentric calf strength and, and, and tiban and, and just co-contractions around the ankle and the knee, but system stiffness. So is your ability to do a low box step up? Uh, a, a half squat, a quarter squat, is your ability to have long lever, hamstring and hip strength, um, really heavy, uh, we call them Bosch ISOs, but glute ham raise type positions, um, is your ability to bound and do plyometrics and like I've already said, do Alex Natera ISOs, you know, is your ability to do those things really good so that your system doesn't downregulate. Because the, the biggest deal when you're putting a large force through your spine or you're running at high speeds when you're applying three, four, five times body weight through the ground is if your system isn't prepared for it at, at a spinal protecting your brain level, if you're not prepared and used to it, you'll shut off. So what happens when you shut off? You sink during the landing. You can't create the appropriate amount of tension and force during that landing, your body says, this is dangerous. Self-preservation is the most important thing, shut off. So actually maximum strength work, of course, provides you the ability to produce the forces that you need. But loading your spine and creating large amounts of motor unit recruitment does great things to turning, to turning off the safety buzzers in your system. So that week one, you put a weight on your spine and you try to go to your maximum two or three reps and you, 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 you can't go very heavy and you take two or three or four weeks and suddenly you can improve by 30%. That's not an improvement of 30% of, or that improvement of 30% hasn't come from 
muscle mass or 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 whatever it is from a, a, a um, mechanical level it comes from your nervous system's ability to go do you know what let's take some strain out of the tendon let's take let's give you more motor unit recruitment let's give you more synchronization let's give you more rate coding these are all neural factors that come relatively quickly and also disappear relatively quickly if you don't train it anymore so reactivity system stiffness they come together. It's all about what you can do to, to essentially stay, stay rigid for your limbs and also be elastic. So just being stiff is not our only goal. Being compliant is our goal. If you throw a golf, if you drop a golf ball, it will bounce pretty high. But if you throw it down and make it compress a bit on the floor, it will bounce really high. Yeah. So we're not just talking about being stiff like a stone. We want to be able to be compliant like a golf ball um, or a spring. Right. You've got to load a load a, a stiff spring. So when we talk about profiling, I, I'm not going to talk about numbers. I could go and talk about projection, reactivity and switching and how they link to um, to FB profiles and how actually you don't you shouldn't just be looking at your 1080 or looking at your 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 sheet to look at the numbers, you should be watching the movement and relating that movement to numbers and relating your F0 to your ability to project and your RF max with your orientation and your, your frequency and your stiffness to your DRF, right? And your ability to get to high velocities based on your triangular velocity. So that's how I believe coaches should be talking. They should be taking data, relevant data, and uh, you know, allowing it to teach them to, to develop their coaching eye so that they're, they are better coaches, can communicate better with their athletes, communicate better with the, the coaches that they're working with. Um, so that to me is where the profiling should really go down is to make sense of how important numbers, important things are relevant to performance and how that um, can influence your coaching and, and the decisions that you're making. So that's profiling on an almost general level. But we can look at profiling a bit more specifically and apply those concepts with something like uh, an acceleration video. So this is what we do most of the time with many of our clients. And this is where the magic happens for a lot of people. This is where they start to make sense of um, what really matters and how they apply projection switching and reactivity to, to running. Uh, or to movement to deceleration so if you take a run of you take a, a video of someone running we can measure the distance they're going we can measure how much they extend in their hip how much of that is hip extension power and, and essentially angular velocity we can see what they're doing with their switching are they attacking down and back or not we can see how much they, their ankle sinks and how stiff they are in uh, in their hips and their and their knee and the timing of hip extension and then we can relate what that means, or then we can take those data points and see what that means to the general model for acceleration. Are they getting increasing amounts of air time and reducing amounts of ground time? It's a great sign of acceleration being efficient, not just effective. So again, if you go to RF um, and you go to DRF, if you want to have a good DRF, and essentially DRF is decay of your ratio of force, long-winded intellectual masturbation, but it is what it is, right? That's the that's the word they use. I'll just say transition. Can you can, can you transition efficiently through your acceleration? And what does that look like? Well, it looks like every step getting longer, 
every hip height getting a bit higher, every ground time getting a bit less, every air time improving or increasing. So there are some general visual markers to identify that that correlate directly with the force or the the FVP F force velocity profile metrics that um, we see. Um, but what's great to know and what's great to see and have validated is that thigh angular velocity really correlates with all projection and reactivity markers. So essentially, if you have good thigh angular velocity, if you and which is large range of motion in a short amount of time, then you are going to do most of the things needed to run fast. And so that's quite empowering for people because it then allows them to go, do you know what, if I'm, in if I'm in early, mid, late acceleration, if I'm in upright running, it doesn't matter. I need to make sure that I don't maximize projection and I don't minimize ground contact time. That's not the goal. The goal is to have the optimal amount of projection that allows me to have the optimal amount of ground contact time. And so that is, uh, at least for us, has been really empowering um, has enabled a lot of coaches to make sense of what matters, what to coach, what to ignore, um, and is definitely the way forwards. I'm going to keep the update for our online community really short for this episode because there's so much good stuff in it from Jonas. I'm just going to read a very quick testimonial from one of our community members, Dave Tenney. Dave said, I think we're living in a time when there are so many bright and innovative people trying different things this is a place that I feel plugged in to that innovation. So if you want to join Dave and other coaches like Dave in our online community, you can go and check it out by getting a 30-day free trial by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab and signing up there for a free month. You can check out the webinars and presentations that are available. After the free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. So go and check it out. If you've not already claimed your free trial, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Jonas Dodu. Where you've talked there about um, essentially coaches then being able to create the priorities is really important, isn't it? Because we've talked about data before on here and collecting data and collecting video, whatever it is it can become quite overwhelming because it's hard to then choose exactly what we need to be focusing on. And you just said it's equally as important to prioritize and to disregard some stuff. And I think what you've talked about there is just give it, it's given coaches the some of the priorities that need to be focusing on, hasn't it? hundred percent. And, you know, I, I think when we do analysis, we can pull out 70 different data points and, that can be confusing for us and we know the data really well. So what's it going to be for you guys? <laughs> sprinting and, and um, an analysis of sprinting is only a small part of your day-to-day -day if you're in a club full-time or even if in a club part-time. Yeah. So definitely um, simplifying the complex is critical and is, and is exciting because it makes you realise, no, no, ignore, ignore that, ignore that, ignore that, ignore that, focus on that, right? Yeah. And when you focus on that and you make a justification, when you have a gym shy player who doesn't really want to deadlift or doesn't really want to step up or doesn't believe in X or Y, you say, look, do you believe in running? Yes, because it's day to day in my sport. I do it all the time. Can you see the difference in these videos? Yes. Can you understand that that one is better? Yeah, probably. 
now can you visualize the fact that some this is all about hip extension okay i get it now look at this deadlift over here this is and, and okay technically they're doing a deadlift a certain way or they're squatting in a certain way look i want you to change this about your approach with your spine or change this about how you control your knees or your foot placement or where your body weight goes well what's the why well because of what we're seeing over here so i hunt like i always get surprised when players are like oh we don't have the buy uh, coaches are we don't have the buy-in of the players and they don't believe in this and they don't believe in that or because that's your job to manage upwards to coaches to to your to your senior coaches and manage sideways or downwards to your players maybe upwards if they got player power right and in that scenario you're going you don't believe in it fine i'm not going to try and make you believe in it but just take a look at this video and look at that action and take a look at this over there then you make your mind up sometimes they don't believe it because they haven't been given all the evidence yet yeah. right and it's almost like guilty to proven innocent it's like okay right let me give you the evidence all of it then you come out of your own kind of conclusions and you manipulate it of course you give them the appropriate evidence to make your case clear but the reality is having buy-in and having people believe um in strength and conditioning in uh, a tech technical model for plyometrics a technical model for acceleration and deceleration is pretty easy as long as you give them the evidence and video with annotations has proven to be the easiest simplest and cleanest way to to get coherence across the whole team and and so yeah i, I would say that people that are struggling you know people oh we only get 10 minutes once a week to do speed work our coach doesn't believe in it it's like it's your job to go and convince him to give you 20 minutes it's your job to go and convince him to organize it in an appropriate way in the week but you won't, he won't just do it because you say it. You need to convince him. You need to give him the evidence. You need to give him the evidence that adds towards what will address his pain point. Coaches don't just want players that are fast. They want players that can press. They want players that can sprint and down the wing and cross at, at speed. They want players that can sprint um, in a transition so they can do a 180 turn and go and sprint under fatigue. So you can't just go to a coach and say, I want to make this player nine meters per second or 10 meters per second. It ain't going to stick. I want to improve this person's drive index or this person's hip extension and acceleration. It ain't going to stick. But if you say, do you know what? There's evidence saying that when your hip extension power or essentially your thigh angle of velocity decreases in your acceleration, that it's indicated that your hip extension, your glutes and your ability to be powerful has reduced. And there is some evidence to show that when your F0 reduces your, your risk of injury, hamstring injury goes up. So now you're giving them a justification because no coach wants their players hurt and all coaches want to play their key players often. And sometimes coaches need to be encouraged to rest or rotate their players. Now you're, you're using the speed um, envelope or the speed lens to provide evidence towards um, resting, recovering, or just um, preventing injury. But you can't just go to a coach and say, I need to improve acceleration or I want to do some breaking strength. You have to make it relevant to the game um so i've gone a long-winded way around it but hopefully that makes sense no it's down to that language again isn't it that's, sure what, that's what it comes down to and like you've mentioned before starting with starting with the game in mind and i think the language for the player especially like a player like you mentioned before that might be possibly against the gym work or any sort of work like that then you using that correct language and relating it to the performance is going to get the attention and then mm -hmm. I think you're dead on like speaking to coaches then, the injury or injury risk, 
that yeah. captures attention straight away, doesn't it? Because of the availability, we want players available essentially for these games. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think I think it's bang on. You know, I'm working with a new Premiership club at the moment, and yesterday was the first day, and it, it was really encouraging because the key players that I've been given, some have got a, a decent injury history, but they're key goal scorers, they're key players that need to be on the pitch, and so the the message from the manager who came into the session and observed it and, and even participated a bit in it. The message just by him being there is, this is important. So firstly, yeah. tick. Okay, the fact that I'm, I've been brought in as an external, this is important, tick. Manager's there, this is important, tick. Manager's getting involved in it. Okay, this is important. Ma- lots of ticks. And then the players, I'm, I'm giving them relevance. I'm, give, I'm helping them understand how projection, even though we're practicing it in a straight line, we, we were in the gym. So we weren't even practicing it in in running and jumping or practicing it in sprint-specific drills in the gym. Um, But then within a few sentences or a few minutes of doing that, I'm I'm making it relevant to them that, okay, well, being reactive is important, but just being quick, but without projecting yourself is not important. So we use the analogy of being like doing NFL drills or just being doing lots of footwork around the player, but never, never getting past them, never creating space or taking space by projecting your hip in a certain direction. And then it clicked for the players, right? We're talk, we were doing some plyometric activities and talking about ankle stiffness and preparation and the fact that you need to always be prepared for every contact. You go up for a first ball, maybe you have to go up for a second ball, if, you, if you're not stiff and ready and able to have a stiff, stable ankle, you, you might land in a toe ankle and have to sink all the way before you can jump again. But being reactive is all about pretension. It's all about jumping before you land, as opposed to landing, feeling the ground, sinking, using that as tension to then extend. So I can give relevant cues and make it make sense in a general movement with good habits and, and just good coaching, if I'm honest. But by connecting it to the manager makes it important and actually these movements can transfer to all elements of your game and give them examples and give them opportunity to practice it, then everything's set. Everyone gets it. Everyone makes sense. You can reverse back to the most simplest part of projection and now you've got them because they're like, okay, I can visualise, even without being a biomechanist or a coach, as a player, I can visualise how this affects that and that affects an element of my game. Cool. I get it. I'm all in. So this session was meant to be 20 minutes yesterday. It stopped at 20. Four players stuck around for another 10 minutes. Some other players still had more questions. And the rest of the gym stopped gymming to watch. Mm. Yeah. And in a normal case, I'm sure the, the coaches and the managers say, carry on what you're doing. But they saw the element here and they're really smart with the players they chose were players they knew that would be coherent and would get involved and they left out certain players that maybe would be um would maybe be more troublesome or more challenging it's easier for people it's easier when people say i want to get involved i want to get involved as opposed to saying you must do it then they rebel so everything about the setup of of the fact that we were in the gym not on the pitch the fact that i i kept it simple and meant that um and connected it to what mattered to them and without making it a PhD, was able to describe really basic movements, uh, basic concepts through basic movements. All of that is critical to your audience because essentially you may only have 10 or 20 minutes on the pitch, but generally you've got two or three sessions in the gym, right? You may only have 10 or 20 minutes on the pitch, but, but in most scenarios, you've got 20, 30 minutes to warm up inside. 
and do your activation, your dynamics. So when people say, I've only got this amount of time to, to do speed, how do I coach, coach it? I go, well, no, I've been in clubs for long enough now in, in championship, in Premier League. I don't know what it's like in a non-league club where you're training twice a week, right? And you really don't have much time. Maybe your changing room's a box and you all your warm-up is outside and all of those other things. So I probably can't speak very relevant to those scenarios. But in, in many scenarios, you have plenty of time to teach good movement and to plant seeds of good understanding. And then your 10 or 20 minutes is not coaching, it's actually training. Your 10 or 20 minutes is out there giving them the right stimulus to get this, the, 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 um, to create the adaptation that you want, right? You're giving them your sled work or you're doing your resisted partner work or you're doing your sled, your, your heel runs or you're doing your dribble bleeds, your scissor bleeds, you're doing your multiple plyometrics, you're doing your game speed and using your resistor sprints or your plyometrics to potentiate your game speed. You're doing the element that's going to prepare them for the next part of training. And you're separating or you're providing opportunities to say, remember guys, this is more to do with projection or or the first set of this easiest one in the world. You run into five or 10 meters. This first set is all about distance. I want you to um, do one or two by yourself without thinking. Okay, you got there in eight steps. The next set is all about distance. Get there in seven. Great. You ran and got there in seven. The next set is actually about bounding. Get there in five. Okay, great. Now I understand really about how to be big. Okay, now let's get the bands on. Now, actually, I want you to still get there in seven, but I want you to move your legs really quickly. Okay, you've moved your legs really quickly. Now let's pull it all together. I want, again, still resisted. I want you to still get there in seven steps. But um, when we did it really quickly, you actually got there in eight because you reduced your range of motion. So think about the shape you made in bounding. Think about the distance you felt, but also re remember the feeling of, of being reactive and quick on the ground is stiff from the ground. But you're not having to coach what that feels like, what that means. Or, um, you're not having to demonstrate that this is a W and this is an M. You haven't got the time, nor maybe is it the appropriate place to do it. If it's early in winter and early intro, fine. But if this is about increasing intensity to prepare them for the next part of training, coaching will take away from intensity. Lots of times in the year, in the week, in, in your sessions, is it, it's, it's definitely okay for coaching to take away intensity because you want them to develop. But what I'm saying is, if you're worried about this 10 or 20 minutes that you get, do a better job in the gym, in your pre-act, in, in other opportunities in the week to connect the dots, to describe the W, the M, the E, the three, to make it really clear when I say this one word or when we do this one action, this is how it should feel. Not this is what it should look like. This is how it should feel. Here's a video of what it looks like. When you did it like this, how did that feel? Oh, it felt like this. Okay, hold on to that cue. So next time I come to the session and I say to 20 people, this is now a projection drill, or I want you to get distance, or I want you to be stiff and be reactive. That is, everyone is hearing, or, or everyone's seeing W, M, E, three, but they're translating it into whatever they need to do and it's all going to be on the same page, right? So I, I'm, I'm almost saying here, 
less coaching should be happening when you have a small amount of time, more training should be happening during that period. And a lot of your coaching happens when you've got more time or when you're elsewhere. That's the best way to make sense of it. Whereas now in many situations, everywhere there's training happening, maybe a bit of coaching happening towards a technical model for a squat, not towards a technical model for a, a compound exercise that supports a jump or a sprint. You see, I've, I've done that separately for a reason, because the technical model that's, that's excellent for a great Olympic lift or a great front squat may not be the exact model that that person needs to be better at jumping or sprinting, because it may over, over, uh, overload areas that you don't want to be the prime mover. Um, and, and then the last point here, I've been talking for too long, but the last point here when I talk about the gym is sometimes the problem isn't that you're getting, um, that this, the technical model is the problem. Sometimes it's the proportion of time in a session across a cycle um, spent do, focusing on maximum strength. I think in many scenarios, people are focused on it maybe a third too much. They should be taking a third away of their maximum strength. They should be replacing it with more plyometrics. They should be replacing it with more sprint work. And actually, many people now have exogenies. If you don't, you can come and buy them from us, right? Or many people have resisted bands or, or like anything they can use. And not, not everyone is saying, you know what? Normally we gym twice a week, but for the next two weeks, we're going to gym once a week. And actually that extra time we're going to spend throwing med ball, jumping on and off of things and sprinting more. And okay, well, there's lots of volume happening in the training session. Okay, we're not going to sprint so much. We're going to do more resistance sprints. And we're going to vary the distance, vary the resistance. Um, not many people are doing that. Yeah. Many people are saying, look, look he, he squatted this much last cycle. Let's get him heavier again. He squatted heavier this cycle. Let's get him heavier again. And they don't realize that actually as you get heavier and heavier, sometimes you get slower and slower. And that the, some of the biggest rebound super compensation in speed happen when you are detraining from your maximal strength see every elite sprinter and every elite jumper knows that there's an element of detraining happening on their four lifts they may be improving on their quarter and their partial lifts but there is a an, an element of detraining happening when they're reaching their peak because that allows them to transfer whatever they've been developing here into whatever they want up here slow strength into fast strength but if you haven't experienced that in tapering, you haven't experienced like a 12-week cycle of undulation, of load, of running, of plyos to create a peak, even if just a mini peak, if you've never experienced that, you never really know that. You just think more and more strength is better. Yeah. So I've been on a rant and I think I've been talking for 25 minutes without you even speaking. Mate, but, I've just been sat here trying to take it all in like a sponge. That was incredible. Um, I think there's so much to take away for people there. Um I just wanted to pull you back a little bit to the injury side of things and, and getting in communication with coaches. because I think that's really important. What would your advice be? So firstly, maybe what, what would you advise coaches to look at in terms of um, helping head coaches or um, educating them on when players maybe need to be pulled back a little bit? So if it's in a busy season, you've got a star player, <clears throat> You're noticing some things that are throwing up some flags for you, but yeah. then you've got to you've got to communicate that to the coach, which is going to be a bit of an awkward conversation because they want to play that player. Yeah, what would be your advice there. 
I think there's two things to think about. If you simply want to just say, well, a player at the beginning of the season had a certain profile um, and actually as we got further into the season or after a knock or, you know, he's been complaining of something, um, there's a change. Sometimes you have to be able to illustrate that change. So if you've got someone who's step frequency dominant, they're never going to have the biggest step length and that might be okay for that athlete. But if actually as a result of being step frequency dominant and having some kind of knock to a limb or loss of range of motion, they have a significant drop in step length on that particular limb. You now have a bit more evidence to say there's something very different about how this person's moving. Then you could just look at the one limb versus the other limb and say, look, there's a massive difference in how they extend their hip. And as a result, the average distance across a sprint has dramatically dropped. This, this points towards something pretty big deal happening around their hip. And you're like, okay, well, look, I, I have some evidence here. So that might be one way of just, and you can do that for any variable to do really any body part, if I'm honest. Um, you can just start to look at what is normal for that person or what's normal for our group. And, and there is a, a really relevant change. If we looked at velocity per step, what we would see is that maybe also the step velocity is undulating, going up and down. So actually he's, he's, he's getting to a decent speed over this distance, but it's all coming from left leg. Um, and many, many physios and many coaches have maybe seen that someone's in their right hamstring. They've come back relatively quickly than they do their left one or calf or ACL or hip flexor. It happens often. And normally that's the case of they are very good at compensating. They've had enough time to allow that area to heal so it can operate at 70 or 80% but the way they stay out of trouble or keep performing is by overdoing it on the other side. So showing asymmetry, but more importantly, showing how relevant that asymmetry, it can be pretty important. We, we have an NFL group that are really doing a good job of showing change of strategy. So I haven't talked a lot about this today and, and, and I don't plan to too much, but uh, quite frankly, you could have someone, up, you might have a winger who's really good at sprinting and, and they're more air dominant and you might have a midfielder that might be more ground dominant is that's not always that way around but it, this is an example if you have a, a, a an, an air dominant athlete who is also step length dominant but let's just say air dominant for now they will have some certain characteristics they may spend more time in the air they may be really good at switching and being stiff on the ground. So they land further under their center of mass as opposed to someone who's on the ground, maybe keep their hips a bit lower. They may land with a bit more of a bent knee. So they might have more of a slow stretch shortening cycle type profile as opposed to a fast stretch shortening type profile. So you've now got two, two different running styles that really contribute to two different physical underpinning needs, right? Or underpinning physical needs. And then your air dominant guy who's really good at being stiff and being, being elastic may have very little knee roll and require medium ankle mobility. Whereas your ground dominant person may have lots of knee roll because of just their strategy. So they, they might need a lot more ankle mobility. And so you start to look at strategy and understand that it's linked to physical properties so if you suddenly had a ground dominant person who normally moves like this, choose to move like this, you've got to ask yourself why. Now, I think everybody should be able to do everything. 
it's just maybe not at a maximal intensity, right? You're humans, you should be able to have lots of variability. But if this has been decided and been proven to be the strategy they use for maximal intensity, and they move to this, and maybe as a result, they're running slower, you gotta ask why have they moved to this? Are they avoiding bending their big toe? Or are they avoiding loading their knee? Is there something that's changed? Or vice versa, if these guys move to this down there, do they not want to land in a reactive way anymore? If the, if, sorry, if the air dominant guys move to being ground dominant, is it because they don't want to land and load their Achilles as much as, as they used to or as they would? Or is it that when they projected themselves, they couldn't get the airtime or didn't have the t- this time or space to switch their limbs back? So I'm now understanding that something that's linked to a physical property can be visualized based on the strategy an athlete uses to perform a maximal task. So I have a bit more evidence to say, do you know what? Something dramatic is changing here. So I'm not just looking at the runner saying he's slower and he's using the same strategy. I'm looking at the runner saying he's slower and actually he's using a very different strategy. So what what, what does this all mean? I, I think that the main thing is that data should add quality to a conversation. All of our data should be adding layers to our understanding and pieces to our puzzle. And if we have a clearer understanding of how physical, clinical-based things that we're seeing in the physio room or we're seeing on the table or even we're seeing in, in our physical profiling in the gym, how they link to technical things to do with create creating momentum and locomotion. If we have a clear link, then we can actually have a, a clear link. We can start to have better conversations and justifications And we're not just saying the player feels a bit like this or the numbers are down. We're connecting the dots and we're probably visualising it for our coaches as well. And no coach wants a player to be injured, no coach, but coaches don't always trust everyone's opinion. So again, let's take opinion out of it. Provide them with clear evidence, really make it simple for them to go A, B and C. Here's how I connect the dots. And then you won't be convincing anyone. Instead, he'll be making a judgment risk. So I have the evidence and clearly there's a change. I choose to or I don't choose to, knowing the risk. And I think that's all you can do as a performance staff who's not in control. You can just have really clear conversations that sift through all the complexity and apply the coach with a a clear model for him to make better decisions. Brilliant. That's quality. Jonas, we've tackled a few questions that actually got sent in already for this podcast, but right. I, you you have kind of touched on this one already, but I thought I'd, I'd read it out just to see if there's anything else that you want to add to it, because it's about limited time and what to prioritise. So you've already mentioned, obviously, trying to essentially not create more time, but take advantage of every time, every sort of time that you have with, with players and athletes. That's what I took from what you were speaking about. Yeah. I'll read it, how Peter sent this in on Twitter. So he said, um, you have a, a coach that gives you, as an SNC, 10 to 15 minutes, one to two times per week to do some speed work. What would you focus on without any, uh, without any profiling being done? So maybe, I know you've mentioned that already, but is there anything you'd add to that? Well, yeah, I think everyone, like, everyone needs to project React and Switch no matter if you are ground dominant, air dominant, frequency level, everyone needs to. 
uh, in the appropriate amounts. But if you haven't profiled and you are not really clear on the appropriate amounts, you can't do any harm by giving a good base understanding of each area. So if I had 15, 20 minutes, even if I had five, like I had 20 yesterday, right? I, I would be really clear about the sequencing needed for efficient projection. Use a wall drill, use a sled, use a jump, use a med ball throw, use whatever you want to show and illustrate and practice efficient projection, right? Um, I would be really clear about what it means to be reactive on the ground, to be stiff and be bouncy, to share load and recycle energy through the ground and the appropriate ankle postures. Um, and then I'll be really clear about what it means to push to punch as a first rule of thumb. So if you want to switch and you want to get itself to a good high knee position, I would help people reorganize, reprioritize or rewire their flexion pattern because flexion should be a result of extension. But most people do high knees or, or try to sprint by lifting their knees as the priority. Whereas if your posture is in your pelvis in the right place, your abs are on, your obliques are on, and you push against the ground well, your knee will get to the top. And it's far easier and quicker and feels easier and quicker. And, and, and that's part of the evidence that we give people. We, we take them through some very simple drills in different ways and show them, look, if you did it this way, how does it feel? And they go, oh, it feels all right. Now do it this way. Oh, that feels punchy. That feels snappy. That feels easier. That feels lighter. That feels like I get more from it. Those are the feelings. So cues for me, I'm on a, on a tangent here, but cues for me aren't about a word or a shape. It's about a feeling and giving them confidence that they can search for a certain feeling and it will result in a certain in the appropriate movement is really what you're trying to do. So I would be segregating my drills and, and, and my cues and my actions into projection reactivity switching. And I would be providing them with an exercise or two with a progression and regression so that they can feel what it's like to maximize that property. Then I'll allow them to run free or go and do a game or go and do an activity where they have to pull it all together at close to max intensity and feel the, how, how well it works when they pull it all together. So that would be my summary. And let me summarize that one more time. I'll choose three activities with some variance between how you achieve those activities that gives them the clarity for what they need. Then I'll allow them to run free, allow them to be competitive and take that into whatever action they're about to do next. Brilliant. I've got another for you. Oh, no. <laughs> From footballers that you've worked with, who's recorded the fastest speed and who was it? if you're allowed to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, in a lot of the scenarios, I can't. Um, but I can talk about... I can talk about Axel because he posted it all over his social media. So in, during COVID, Axel Tunazebi um, ran 10.6 metres per second. And I think he hadn't registered anything over 10 um, prior to that and had a few 10s and 10.2s in and around that training session. But that was him training with a few boys. We, he, we did some face-to-face -face stuff. We did a lot of stuff online. Um, and that was him using GPS. Um, and then I, I guess Tariq Lamti is, was registered as the fastest guy in the premiership maybe two years ago or three years ago. Um, and he's, he's one of our, he's a good one. He's one that I work with and when I'm with a Brighton and um, is naturally fast, was fast before I met him. Like he's, he's just got that raw Ghanaian speed. Um, and uh, yeah, he's pretty fast. 
the rest of them, all the other clubs, all that stuff, I really can't talk about. Like, no. but there are fast players, and 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 I think they're they're only getting faster. And what what I really liked uh, a story would be when I was working with Derby County, I guess in in the years building up, uh, tw- let's say 2017, 2018, 2019, um, we had a year that um, in that year group that they were the oldest team in the top four leagues. Lots of 32-year-olds and 34-year-olds and old old legs. But more than 80% of the team had registered a new personal best in their top speed by like November. Um, in games, in training, in speed sessions, in our sprint relays, but always in and around games and game-related activities and, and during a busy schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's always the, the question people say, oh, but with a Saturday to Saturday, where does the speed work go? Is it appropriate? Blah, 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 blah. And um, that was that was really cool. And, and our, uh, our head of medical at the time, Robin Sadler, who is now also at Man United, um, I, I, he was my reference point. You know, he was at City for a decade before he was at Derby. And he's like, he was like really clear that this does not happen normally in professional football. Like he doesn't see this many players, especially older players reach new speeds and new tolerances to gym work and plyometrics and all of that stuff. Um, so I always leaned on his opinion um, because I know he, he was seasoned and had seen it at the top flight. Um, and um, so, yeah, those are the stories of fast people. I think, look, anybody can get faster. Everyone can be faster, right? Everyone. It's just, do you do the underpinning work that you need to do to get there? That's the difference. Superb. Uh, this has been absolutely packed full of gold. So I hope people have enjoyed it. Um, Jonas, where can people follow you or Speedworks or where we, what sort of links would you give out to people now? Yeah, for sure. Um, eat, sleep, train underscore is my uh, Twitter. Maybe it's also my Instagram. I'm not sure if it is. Maybe my Instagram is just my name, Jonas Dodu. Um, but uh, speedworks.training is is our link on Instagram and Twitter and our website is www.speedworks.training so easy enough to find um, so yeah we're, we're all out there if you if you want a deep dive into all things sprinting and relevance to how you would coach it and um, some if you want to understand some of the deep biomechanics or the deep programming and deep like hamstring programming and periodization stuff you go to our website you can get our virtual internship it's got 40 hours of material you'll be better off doing that than getting a master's in in strength and conditioning because it will give you some really good information Um, and if you want less hours of material and a direct answer around key topics you go to our speed matters level one and that should just give you uh, the next cohort is, is not available until maybe another month from now so maybe uh, more like uh, end of august but virtual internship is is ever ever available you just go and purchase it you register straight away you got access to the video material so across those two resources you can either have a massive deep dive into all things relevant to sprinting rehab periodization etc biomechanics etc um or you go to speed matters and it just kind of gives you the, the key bits for you to learn right now and apply right now uh, and then lastly we we have events all the time we've got virtual uh, we've got uh, workshops and webinars and, and things running all the time just register our website and take a look 
But most importantly, we've got a new mentorship program. So across August, we'll be doing a bit of an intense mentorship where people can come sign on. They, they get to come and visit up in Loughborough. They get to go and observe some Olympic athletes train in London. Um, and, and they get a, an online experience alongside that. Um, and that that is going to be relatively intense. But alongside that, across the year, we want to, and this hasn't been launched yet, and actually we're still in the, the final stages of finalising it, but we essentially want to go a bit of a journey with coaches, coaches who are working at all levels, um, uh, SNC coaches who are fresh out of uni or working in academies who want to meet face-to-face as a group once a month and want to be given some information to work on in between that. So we're going to do that. We're going to launch that for, I think, for a September start um, or an October start, and that will go like six, eight, ten months. We're still trying to figure it out if it just lasts the length of the season or goes a bit longer. Um, and, and that's really designed because everyone is studying, they're spending hours and hours reading, got all the material, going online, doing courses, getting a certificate, and no one can coach. We've got lots of strength and condition SNC coaches where the, the capital S a bit of the C and the coaches is in like small italics, like a subtitle. Whereas I, I definitely think it should be strength and conditioning coaches in bold, yeah. absolute bold. Um, and we, we're not getting them. And a lot of people are, are going for job interviews and they can quote all of the science. They can quote everything, but they can't create a relationship or they can't coach a movement or they can't, you know, they can't coach two different people at the same time. They can't get movement across to a group just the small things that actually make the biggest difference when it comes to delivery and 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 so our aim is to fill that gap Um, and so we'll be doing that across next year so reach out if you're interested now or wait for the adverts to go up but we'll have limited places and and i'm quite excited about it brilliant jonas thank you so much mate that's been absolutely quality it's been great to catch up awesome buddy let's let's not leave it another four years (laughs) let's not thank you mate that's one thanks a lot see ya bye-bye Wow, I'm struggling to come up with just a few takeaways from that one because I'm sure you're like me, that there was so much in there, um, some incredible stuff from Jonas that I'm sure you got page and page and notes if you did what I said at the start and got a pen and paper out because there was so much great stuff, so much relatable stuff for a lot of coaches out there. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Go and give Jonas a follow over on social media, eat, sleep, train, underscore on Instagram and Twitter and go and check out everything that Speedworks have got going on as well. I'm going to try and break it down a little bit and give a few of my takeaways and there's definitely more than just this, but Jonas spoke about um, the shared language between practitioners, between physios, strength conditioning coaches, sports scientists, players, uh, technical coaches, absolutely crucial I think that is for everyone to sort of understand what we're trying to work towards he, he talked about having evidence and evidence for to create buy-in again for players and for coaches which I think I thought was absolutely crucial and then just the other one that stood out was that data should add quality to conversations it shouldn't just be out there for the sake of it we should be using it to add qualities to some of our conversations which ties in again to that language so i'm sure you'll agree absolutely loads in this one please give this a share but don't only just share it actually tag a few people in that you think will benefit because i'm sure there's plenty out there i mentioned at the start if you have listened to this on audio 
go back and listen, and sorry, watch it even over on YouTube as well, because he does show some video throughout this podcast too. So search Football Fitness Federation and you'll be able to check out the video version of the podcast as well. But again, as always, huge thank you for your support on the podcast. Thank you for listening and a big thank you to Jonas for coming on and giving up his time. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 196.